Hi, my name is Tony Thaxton. Like anyone else, I love a great album. But I also love those strange albums that might make you wonder how and why they even exist. But I'm not here to make fun of them. I'm here to celebrate them and tell their story. This is Bizarre Albums. Today's episode, Carol O'Connor, Remembering You, from 1971. It's disgusting. Look what she see, see all see right through to your belly button. Look, there's holes in well, it. Well, are we all ready? I'm getting out of breath. Oh my God! Oh, Bennett, what does she look like? What do you look like? Ken Dodd, that's what you look like. Till Death Us Do Part was a British sitcom that aired on BBC One beginning in 1965. The show focused on the Garnett family, led by Alf Garnett, a reactionary white working class anti-socialist and racist. The show was an immediate hit in the UK. Even though it was a comedy, the show was realistic and dealt with political and racial issues that were becoming a bigger issue at the time. According to Wikipedia, the show captured a key feature of Britain in the 1960s, the public perception that the generation gap was widening. The way the character Alf Garnett spoke on the show was considered not acceptable on TV at the time. He used racist terms. His son-in-law on the show, Mike, was a socialist from Liverpool, and Alf would often refer to him as Shirley Temple or a Randy Skouskit. The latter was a term that caught the attention of Mickey Dolans of the Monkees, who would use that for the title of a number two hit for the Monkees in 1967. Though in the UK, they had to call it Alternate Title. Sometime in the late 1960s, American television writer Norman Lear read an article in Variety about the success Till Death Us Do Part was having in the UK. He felt like the show resembled the relationship that he had with his own father. So he ended up buying the rights to the show, and he started incorporating his own experiences with his father into the writing. In 1968, New York-born actor Carol O'Connor was living in Rome, Italy, He'd been a working TV and film character actor in the U.S. since the early 1960s. Norman Lear reached out to O'Connor and asked him to come to New York City to star in a pilot he was doing for ABC, based on Till Death Us Do Part. This would be called Justice for All. He wanted O'Connor to play the lead role, Archie Justice. Gene Stapleton was cast as Archie's wife, Edith Justice. Kelly Jean Peters played their daughter, Gloria and Tim McIntyre played her husband, Richard. The Justice for All pilot was filmed in October of 1968. Richard, you, you forget a very important thing, and that is that you didn't have to go out and hustle for it with black skin. No, I didn't have to hustle with one arm and one leg, neither. So what? So what? You just admitted the black man is handicapped. No more than me. He's just as good as me. Oh, and now I suppose you're going to tell me that he's had an equal opportunity in the country. He's had right? more. He's had more opportunity. I didn't have no million people going out in the streets there and marching and protesting to get me my job. No. His uncle got it for him. After screening the pilot, ABC gave Lear more money to produce a second pilot, which would be retitled Those Were the Days. But soon after, 
there was a problem. Do you love me? Do I love you? We just met a couple of minutes ago. For all I know, you might be a pot-smoking, jaded, wild-eyed, radical dropout. I am a pot-smoking, jaded, wild-eyed, radical dropout. I love you. On February 5th, 1969, ABC aired the first episode of a sketch comedy series from the producers of Laugh-In called Turn On. The show was extremely controversial. It relied heavily on risque sex jokes. It received poor reviews and was so controversial that ABC canceled the show after airing only one episode. So now, ABC was suddenly scared of Norman Lear's new show. They thought a bigoted, foul-mouthed character would upset its affiliates, and they backed out. But CBS wasn't scared, so they bought Lear's show. A third pilot was then filmed, with some more changes. The justices became the bunkers, some of the cast was replaced, and it once again had a new name, All in the Family. From Television City in Hollywood. Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. Songs that made the hit parade. Guys like us, we had it made. Those were the days. And the new when you All in the Family would premiere on CBS January 12, 1971. It was the first major American TV series to be filmed in front of a live audience, which would soon become the norm. All in the Family's first season was not a huge success. Not a failure, but not a smash. The show finished at number 34 in the ratings in 1971. But by season two, the show would be the number one show in America a spot it would hold for five years in a row. O'Connor even won the Emmy for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy Series after the first season, an award he would win three more times before the show was done. For the show's theme song, Those Were the Days, Carol O'Connor and Gene Stapleton sat at a piano and sang the song themselves. It was written by Lee Adams and Charles Strauss, a decade after the two wrote the music and lyrics for the Tony Award-winning Bye Bye Birdie. In 1972, a longer version with a band of Those Were the Days was released as a single on Atlantic Records, and it peaked at number 43 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number 30 on the Billboard Adult Contemporary chart. Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. Songs that made the hit parade. Guys like me, we had it made. Those were the days. The closing theme for All in the Family gets us to what I'm really here to talk about today. Here's Carol O'Connor on the Sonny and Cher Comedy Hour in 1971. I think by now most of you know the opening theme of All in the Family, but I don't know if many of you have taken much notice of a very nice closing theme we have. I didn't notice it for a couple of weeks after beginning my show, and I did notice it. I asked my friend Roger Kellaway, who composed the music, if I could have permission to do a lyric to it. And he said, fine. So I wrote the lyric to it, and the title of it is Remembering You. The character of Archie Bunker had gotten extremely popular by 1972. Archie Bunker for President t-shirts, buttons, and bumper stickers were popping up everywhere during the 1972 presidential election. This, combined with O'Connor writing lyrics to the closing theme, would result in an album. So in 1972, Carol O'Connor released Remembering You 
on A&M Records. Boy, the way the Bee Gees played. Movies John Travolta made. Guessing how much Elvis weighed. Those were the days. Carol O'Connor wrote the liner notes on the album's back cover. They begin by saying, This album was conceived when Roger Kellaway composed a closing theme for my television series, All in the Family. I liked the theme. It had a feeling of my beloved 30s about it. I gave it a lyric and a title, Remembering You, and discovered in Roger a mutual fondness for the songs of that period. We started talking. Now, the professional singer can never equal the closet singer's craving to sing. For years, I entertained such fantasies as replacing Pinza in South Pacific and causing Sinatra pangs of envy and insecurity by recording a series of brilliant vocal performances. The fantasies began fading around 1960s when I appeared in my first Hollywood movie and got very busy with the realities of film acting. But now, suddenly Roger was suggesting a musical reality as well, a vocal album of the 30s, 10 representative songs. I could choose the songs, write a narration and speak it, and bring the art of the actor, if not the singer, to the songs. Because the songs were all so actable. The album begins with just a memory. Well, a short section of it. O'Connor adds some narration after a brief singing intro. Just a memory. If you happened to be in Chicago in 1929 and you went dancing at the Palmer House, you probably did a foxtrot to this song, Just a Memory. And the song fit the time. Because There's a narration from O'Connor between each song, each one titled A Year from the 1930s in order. In 1930, nobody was predicting the hard times ahead, though factories were cutting back and closing and unemployment was rising to six million. Conservatives were angry about a $4 billion national budget and happy about reducing the Navy. You get the idea. I'm not going to focus too much on those, but they each serve as an intro to the next song, which in this case is Would You Like to Take a Walk? A song written by Harry Warren in 1930, recorded by a number of artists. But of course, you know the song best for being used in the 1942 Daffy Duck cartoon, The Daffy Duckaroo. Mm -hmm. Would you like to take a walk? Mm -hmm. Do you think it's going to rain? How about a sarsaparilla? Gee, the moon is yellow. Something good'll come from that. Mm -hmm. Have you heard the latest song? Mm -hmm. It's a very pretty strain. Mm -hmm. Don't you feel a little thrill? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. O'Connor's liner notes go on to read, My selections for this album were not the greatest hits of the 30s, but they were great favorites, and particular favorites of mine. I hope my contemporaries will remember them as I do, poignantly or romantically or merrily, and recall places, events, and personal images out of a remarkable span of years. 
Can't we talk it over? Let's talk it over Before you tell me you're through Can't we sit together And figure whether This is the right thing to do I hate the thought of spending nights all alone. Though it comes after the 1933 narration, Sweet and Lovely is actually from 1931, composed by Gus Arnheim, Charles N. Daniels, and Harry Tobias, who O'Connor refers to as his friend in the narration. The song was also released as a promotional single, along with Can't We Talk It Over. Sweet and Lovely Sweeter than the roses in May Sweet and lovely Heaven must have sent her my way Skies above me Never were as blue as her eyes Side one closes with What Is There To Say? Another song written by someone O'Connor calls a friend, Vernon Duke. What is there to say? And what is there to do? The dream I've been seeking has practically speaking come true. What is there to say? Side 2 begins with a narration about 1935, where O'Connor talks about golf, social security, Pan Am, and insurance, leading into the song about a quarter to nine. But I'm going to move past that and talk about some of the session players on this album. They're all credited in O'Connor's liner notes. Matty Matlock plays clarinet here. In 1929, Matlock had replaced Benny Goodman in the Ben Pollock band before going on to work with Ella Fitzgerald and Bing Crosby, among others. He also assisted O'Connor's narration with memories of his own. John Guerin is on drums. For a short period in the early 70s, he was the drummer of the Birds. He also played with Joni Mitchell, Frank Zappa, Thelonious Monk, and Linda Ronstadt, just to name a few. So rare, you're like the fragrance of blossoms fair, sweet as a breath of air, fresh with the morning dew. So rare, you're like the sparkle of old champagne, orchids in cellophane, couldn't compare to you. We also have Joe Pass on guitar, Edgar Lustgarden on cello, and Chuck Dominico on bass. In addition to his work with Frank Sinatra, Barbara Streisand, and Chet Baker, Dominico's bass playing can also be heard on theme songs of classic TV shows like M.A.S.H., Cheers, and Frasier. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling, tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Quite stylish. And the man partially responsible for this album happening, Roger Kellaway, is on piano. His bio on rogerkellaway.com reads... Grammy Award winner and Academy Award-nominated pianist composer has recorded more than 250 albums. He's worked with everyone from Ellington to Elvis, Joni Mitchell to Barbara Streisand, and Quincy Jones to Yo-Yo Ma. O'Connor's liner notes also state that Kellaway and the album's producer, Steve Goldman, quote, 
decided on a basically rhythm accompaniment, the aim being more bounce, more contrast, more interest than were characteristic of the time. Producer Steve Goldman is a little bit of a mystery for me. There's a Steve Goldman from around this time period who worked with artists like Gary Puckett and Van Dyke Parks, among others. And I believe that's the Steve Goldman we're talking about here. However, there was another Steve Goldman who worked with Davy Jones and Dionne Warwick around this time, but he appears to mostly have been a songwriter. I get along without you very well Of course I do Except when soft rains fall And drip from leaves Then I recall the thrill of being sheltered in your arms. The album closes with the title track, the song responsible for this album happening, Remembering You. Got a feeling it's all over now. All over now with through. And tomorrow I'll be lonesome. Remembering you. Got a feeling the sun will be gone The day will be long and blue And tomorrow I'll be crying Remembering you Remembering You actually charted for 13 weeks, peaking at number 118. It was released on vinyl and 8-track, and it's not currently available to stream anywhere. But Remembering You wouldn't be Carol O'Connor's only album. He would return in 1976 with Carol O'Connor Sings for Old Farts, that's P-F-A-R-T-S, parentheses, people favoring a return to sentiment. But that is for another time. Thank you for listening to Bizarre Albums. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps people find the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Bizarre Albums, and I'm at Tony Thaxton. You can also like Bizarre Albums on Facebook and visit BizarreAlbums.com. And if you still want more Bizarre Albums in your life, sign up for weekly bonus episodes of Bizarre Singles and more at Patreon.com slash Bizarre Albums. And as always, if you know of a Bizarre Album you'd like to hear featured, please tweet the show. I'd love to hear from you. You can even email me at bizarrealbums at gmail.com. My name is Tony Thaxton, and I'll see you next time on Bizarre Albums. <laughs>